Well, we're glad to have you here tonight uh, for our evening service. We're going to uh, actually look over in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to share a message entitled Growing Together. Uh, I wanted to go through this and, uh, and examine um, the disciples and examine how they were growing in the Lord and uh, just thinking of our annual church meeting tonight and just knowing what God wants to do and continue to bless us and use us uh, in this new year, uh, even with the challenges that we have set before us, uh, I believe that we can overcome all of these things uh, because uh, Christ is still on the throne. He's still in control. And I believe God has some magnificent things he wants to do in this new year. So, But we need to grow together. And notice in Second uh, Peter Chapter 3 and verse 10 <clears throat> says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the pro his promise, uh, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, uh, to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful to come before you uh, at this hour, Lord, to be able to ask for your blessings on the preaching of the word of God. Uh, we've been praying for our annual church meeting, and Lord, we're thankful that tonight we can gather together and uh, make decisions that will help us to have uh, a direction and, and leadership in our, our life, our ministry, uh, to be able to uh, father opportunities to be able to share the gospel. And so we're thankful, Lord, that we could gather together to deal with these issues. But, Lord, we're aware of the fact uh, that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are not approaching this life and this ministry uh, through man's wisdom and man's eyes, but we're coming to you through the wisdom of God, desiring to know the will of Christ in our life and in our ministry. And so, Lord, I pray you bless us. Help us to uh, glean some truths tonight, uh, how we can grow together 
uh, as we surrender our life anew to Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 17 and 18 are our text verse. Notice it says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before. And it's just amazing as we were in the discussion panel uh, just a few minutes ago and just thinking of the scriptures, how many times God reminds us that the things that he is revealing to us is not something that is new, but it's something that you already knew, or at least you should have known it. And so he says, See, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also be being led with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. And certainly if there's something that we have learned in the last year, especially within the last eight or nine months, is that if you're not on guard in reference to what you believe and what you know the scripture shows forth, it is very easy for you to fall by the wayside. And so we live based on the things that we know and that we have been taught and that we hold on to, that we are steadfast in them. And the way we do that is verse 18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and be glory both now and forever. Amen. Uh, in other words, no matter how much you know about Christ, there is still something else you need to learn. And I don't care how long you've been saved, there is still something else that you need to learn about who Christ is and what he can do in your life. And so I just think of that process. A church is no stronger than the spiritual maturity of its members because the church is not a building, it's people. And so if the people are not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the church becomes anemic and becomes ineffective in its ministry. Jesus had 12 disciples, and those 12 disciples would turn the world upside down. Uh, they would fill Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ in uh, just the first century after the crucifixion of Christ. And, and we look at that, and they, they didn't have internet, they didn't have social media, uh, they'd have all the resources and everything else that we have, but quickly, very quickly, they had filled Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ. And so, uh, when we, but thinking of that group of men who did that, and just thinking about the diversity that was among those men, now, a lot of what goes on in the world today, everybody talks about diversity. We need diversity. And now, uh, diversity, it seems like it is tearing us apart. Uh, in America, however, that should not be, because diversity is not necessarily bad, and certainly among being a Christian, uh, diversity is something that is good because of the fact that it enables us to reach people in every facet of life, and there's people I can lead to the Lord that you would never be able to lead to the Lord, but the reality is there's people that you can lead to the Lord that I would never be able to lead to the Lord. And uh, so the diversity of this group literally uh, turned the world upside down. They were completely different in their character. You think of Peter. Uh, he was a man of courage and vigor. And he had great uh, qualities, but he was impulsive. I mean, he would just fly off the handle, so to speak. I just think when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the guards come to take him, I mean, Peter's immediate response was pull a sword out and cut the ear off of one of the servants. And uh, wait a minute, Jesus had to remind him, wait a minute, they that live by the sword die by the sword. 
And so he was impetuous. I mean, what a character Peter was. And now uh, James, the son of Zebedee, uh, was a man that was called the sons of thunder. He had a bad temper. He had a strong temperature, a temperature, temper. Uh, if uh, he was today, he would have to go to anger management, amen? They would say, you can't do church ministry like that. You got to get your anger under control. Uh, we talk about John. John was a man that was an intense individual. He was a man that had deep passion. Uh, you would always read of John being referred to as the one who laid on the bosom of Jesus, his passion that he had uh, for Christ. Philip was energetic. Every time you read about Philip, he's going to get somebody to bring him to Christ. It's an amazing thing. There's our people in the church that every time you talk to them, they've got somebody that led to the Lord or somebody they're trying to bring to church. And so Philip was very energetic. Nathaniel was identified as one who had no guile, which means no craftiness. No deceit about him. Uh, Thomas was a man of great devotion, but he was a man full of doubts. And uh, oftentimes you have folks that may be fired up and excited about God, and others just are fearful, they're doubting what can take possibly take place. They always have a negative spin on whatever's going on. And uh, But you say, well, is that, that shouldn't be. Well, look at the diversity of the disciples. And they turned the world upside down for Christ. Uh, they had different, not only different characters, but they had different occupations. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen. Uh, nobody liked Matthew. He was a tax collector. Amen. <laughs> Praise God for forgiveness and grace to deliver him out of that. Uh, Simon was a zealot. You know, sometimes we have some people just that are over the top, and it's like, man, you need to chill out, and you need to calm down a little bit. No, let them go, amen? Uh, let, somebody needs to do that. Well, they had different residences. Peter was a native of Sadia, living in Capernaum. Philip was from Bethlehem. Nathaniel was a native of Cana of Galilee. I mean, I'm just saying this. Everything about the 12 disciples was different. But they were able to turn the world upside down for Christ. So we can't look at ourselves as a church and as a ministry and say, well, we can't accomplish this or that or the other because of the people that are in the church. No, God needs every one of you. God has designed you as we saw this morning, and he has prepared you. He has a plan he wants to do in your life and use you for his glory. So a maturity, a growing in their understanding of who Christ is, enabled them to take their differences and blend their mission together to for the glory of God and multitudes of souls that were saved. And so let's consider this, some things about their life. There's no way we'll be able to look at all the verses I have down here, but I'll mention them and you can jot them down. But I thought of this. Uh, one of the things about the early disciples was they withdrew from their old life and experiences. And sometimes when you want to be used of God in a great way, you have to withdraw from your old life and your experiences. In other words, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. So the old things in our life, the old lifestyle, the old experiences in our life needs to be removed because of the fact that God has something that he wants us to do in the present life that is not compatible with the old life. 
And so we have to withdraw from that old life. And so the disciples in Matthew 4, Matthew chapter 9, John chapter 1, I mean, over and over again, uh, there is this call of Christ upon the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I remember years ago, I bought a boat and uh, I, I named it Fishers of Men. And the guy, the, the broker, the boat the guy that I bought it off of and bought it through, uh, he was amazed at that. He was like, Fishers of Men, Fishers, what does that mean? What does that, I said, I told him, explained what it mean. I had more opportunities to witness with people because they saw that Fishers of Men, what is that? In the days we're worried, uh, living, I was worried about people thinking it was something else, amen. <laughs> but it gave me opportunities to explain what fishers of men were. And Jesus told the disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So you think of the disciples, they moved away from, they withdrew from everything they were familiar with and followed after Christ. And then I thought just simply of this, of the church or uh, believers or literally us. Uh, how are you withdrawing away from your old life, your old experiences? Uh, listen, the tendency is this, to slip back to the old life. If you don't keep yourself on guard and surrender to Christ, it's easy to get entertained to go back to the life you had before. And so we have to be careful of that. I can't be effective in growing in my relationship with Christ and my relationship with other believers unless I'm willing to maintain a walk with God that is away from what I used to be without Christ. When I was in Bible college, Dr. Malone always used to say, men, burn the bridges behind you. And uh, literally, he's just saying this, make, their, make sure there's no way that you can possibly go back to your old life. And I know my wife and I, we left and went to Bible college. We had enough money to get to college, get to Pontiac, Michigan, uh, be able to rent a place for a couple of months. That's all the money that we had. And uh, if we did want to leave Bible college and leave and come home, we wouldn't have enough money to get there. So you just need to just burn the bridges behind you. Your life is hid in Christ. Your life is valuable in Christ. And so you go ahead and move in maturity with your walk with God by withdrawing from the old life experiences. Notice, secondly, uh, that they were committed, they committed themselves for the long haul. Uh, you know, they weren't looking at a temporary experience. They were, they, when they followed Christ, when Jesus said, follow me, when they left what they were to follow Christ, there was no intention in their mind to go back to what they were. They were following Christ for their lifetime. It was a commitment uh, for the long haul. It has been said that credibility comes with longevity. And I just know this, if you want to be effective as a soul winner, you want to be effective in influencing others for Christ, uh, you just got to hang in there you got to keep going on for the Lord. You're in it for the long haul. We're not, we're, this, this matter of being a Christian, this matter of doing church work, isn't something that's on a temporary basis while society is accepting of it. It's not a, a life that is lived based on the fact that socially it's acceptable to be able to live that way as a Christian. No, 
irregardless of what the circumstances are, or the temperature in the world, or the move in a, a media may be, realizing this, that you just need to stay in there living every day for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in it for the long haul. Uh, we don't take a temporary stand. Notice that they were in the long hallway. It's illustrated a couple of different ways. It's illustrated in their personal training. You know, they spent three years with Christ before they were out on their own. Three years. Oftentimes people don't want to go through discipleship. We have discipleship booklets or eight-week lessons and uh, then we have four books. You can do 32 weeks of uh, lessons and studying and, and discipleship. And over the years, I've had people start, start in the book and get done maybe three chapters. Then all of a sudden, they don't do anymore. Or they don't show up for the time to go over the book. And, uh, and it's almost like, well, yeah, well, I understand that stuff. I I know what's in the book. I understand the assurance of salvation. I understand about church membership. I, un I don't need to study those things. Wait a minute. These disciples spent three years with Jesus just getting the basics down. And then when Jesus was crucified, they were all confused about what happened. And so uh, they were in it for the long haul in their personal training. And they were in it the long haul for the work of God. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be ye therefore steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and that you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, being in it for the long haul. If Sunday school was important 10, 15 years ago, then it's important today. If junior church was important, I'm excited about our junior church at 9 o'clock service. Now, we've been getting a lot of kids coming out. I'm so excited about that. I applaud the parents in bringing their children to church so they can be in an environment where they can learn the word of God on their level. Uh, COVID has disrupted everything we are as church ministry, but it has not stopped our opportunity to do ministry. And so we're in it for the long haul. It's the work of God. But also... They were committed in the comfort of God. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that, that God is able to comfort us in all of our tribulations. And if, if you're in it for the long haul, you know that you're going to go through problems in life. You understand you're going to be facing health issues in your life. You understand you're going to be facing social issues in your family. You understand that there's going to be challenges and difficulties financially in your life. You understand all this is going on, but wait a minute. This, we're in it for the long haul because whatever it is we're facing, God is the one who comforts our soul. And then they were committed in the long haul by the grace of God. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and James chapter 4 and verse 7 deals with this whole thing of growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus. We need the grace of God. God's grace is always sufficient. Paul would write in, in 2 Corinthians 9 in reference to the grace of God is always sufficient. Our sufficiency is in Christ. It is not in our abilities, our talents, our skills, our experiences. It is in Jesus Christ. And so I can be committed for the long haul. 
I can just be in there going on and going on and going on. I just look at preachers and missionaries of years gone by that were in their 80s and 90s, and they were still preaching and still traveling. And uh, I remember I was, I, was, I was at a meeting, I don't know how old Dr. Malone was, but he had to be up in his higher 80s, early 90s, and they, he was having difficulty getting on the platform. They had to help him on the platform, but they got him in the pulpit. Once he got in the pulpit, he was all right. He started preaching, amen. And I, I'm just thankful. I remember old Lee Robinson years ago. And I was at a meeting, and he was getting pretty frail. He was like 90 years or 91 years old, and he drove to the meeting. I'm like, I don't know what car he's driving, but I'm going to stay away from that one. Amen. And he got up there and preached the word of God. I'm just, I look at that and I thought, I think when I see that, I think of this, the reality of the disciples that they were in it for the long haul. And these great men and women of God throughout the years and centuries have been in it for the long haul. They didn't give up. You might retire from your job, but you don't retire from God. God still has something he wants to do in your life, and he wants to use you for his glory. And so you need to be committed for the long haul and growing together. Notice they also, they learned to pray. And uh, that we need prayer desperately uh, in the days and times in which we are living. Uh, matter of fact, in Luke 11 and 1, the disciples would come to Jesus and tell him or ask of him, teach us to pray. And uh, learn, trying to learn how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, lest you fall asleep, I'll make you turn over to a passage, amen. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, we have an outline of how they prayed uh, earnestly unto the Lord. He asked them, they asked, will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus would give them instruction on how they were to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 7, he says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. And so notice that they learned how to pray sincerely. Uh, we're, not, we're not trying to manipulate God to do what we, we want him to do. Uh, we're, not, we're not praying just so that other people can hear us pray. I, I, I remember when I was in Bible college, this one fellow, they used to have different guys come up to pray. And this one guy, every time we got up there, I would just cringe. I was like, what is this guy going to say now? Uh, it, it was like he, he felt like he had to have this great oratory experience while he was praying. And I remember he was up there praying once, and he started quoting scripture when he was praying, and he forgot the scripture. He didn't know the reference. And he literally said, well, God, you know what the scripture says. So just, and I'm like, good night. How since, are you trying to impress God? Or are you trying to impress people who are hearing uh, you pray? Prayer is nothing more than conversation between you and God. Just talk to the Lord. I remember I was down in uh, Dividing Creek. There was a fellow I led to the Lord down there. His wife had witnessed to him. He had preachers come in and witness to him and tried to get him saved over the years. And he wouldn't get saved, wouldn't get saved. And she wanted me to go witness to him like other preachers went to witness to him. And I went in, I sat down and he looked at me. He said, preacher, I know exactly what you're going to say. I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. I know exactly what you're going to say because you realize how many preachers have sat in that chair and said to me what you're going to say to me. I said, no, they didn't. 
I said, I'm not. Matter of fact, I said, I only have one thing to say to you. I said, when you die, you're going to hell. And he looked at me, and he was just stunning. And he said, I can't believe you said that to me. I said, well, you rejected all the witness of everybody else. So what hope do you have? I said, you don't have any hope. I said, matter of fact, you die, you're going to go to hell, or I'm going to pray for you. And I said, I'll see you later. And I left. You say, you're terrible. I know. A lot of people tell me that. I left. Well, I'll tell you what. That guy kept coming to church every Sunday with his wife, and I got, he got under conviction. And he came to me, and I know that we, it was at a father and son banquet thing we did. And he came after the preaching and all that, when everything was done, he came over to me. He said, preacher, can I talk to you? And I said, I saw him come over, and as he came over, I just turned and walked away from him. And then I was over in another part of the church, and he came over, and I saw him coming, so I turned and walked away from him. I figure if this guy wants to talk to me, he's going to have to run me down. And uh, I'll tell you, finally, he just came over in frustration. He said, preacher, you understand? I want to talk to you. And I said, well, what's the matter? Well, I need to be saved. I said, well, let's go in the sanctuary where we'll be quiet and private. Went in the sanctuary, went through the plan of salvation, and he got saved. I'm going to tell you something. There is not a man on this earth that I have ever prayed with that had a more sincere prayer than what he had. We'd have prayer before Sunday morning service. And we'd go in the room, me and a couple of deacons, and he would always be there to go in prayer. And we'd start to pray. And he would, just, he would start out his prayer. Lord, would you just kind of look down on me today? God, I've been really hurting today. I need some help today. God, will you speak to me? I mean, he just talked like God was sitting in the chair next to him. And I thought, what a reprobate I am. I need to learn how to pray like he prayed. What am I saying? Prayer is not putting on a show or revealing to people how much you know or what you can say. It's just a sincere conversation with our God. That's all it is. So they grew sincere. They had prayer that was sincere. It was reverently they prayed. Notice in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, After this matter, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Reverently. Don't, don't. I, I, don't, I don't like making demands of God. When we go into the presence of God, he is the master. He is the boss. We do not make demands of him. We reverence him. They prayed reverently. They, exp they prayed expectantly. Look at Matthew chapter 9 in uh, verse uh, 38. They prayed expectantly. It says, Jesus is telling them there, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That's praying with expectation. In other words, when we pray, we're pay praying with the spirit that we expect God to answer. We're not demanding God to answer the way we want him to answer. We're just praying, believing that God's listening to us and that he is going to answer. They prayed expectantly. They prayed privately in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 23. They prayed privately. You know, I like praying in groups with men. I like praying in groups in as far as in the church. Uh, but what a blessing it is just to get alone with the Lord. 
and uh, with brothers that are close and sisters that are close to you to talk with God. Matthew 14 and verse uh, 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. Uh, sometimes you just need to be by yourself with the Lord. Sometimes you just need all the distractions and all the interaction and all the relationships just to be removed at that time, just to be alone with God. It's great when there is a conversation between you and God alone and nobody knows what is going on in your conversation. It's just privately. You know, I talk to my wife privately. We have uh, a conversation together. Nobody knows what the conversation is. Nobody's ever going to know what the conversation is. That's the way it ought to be with our God. We ought to have conversation with him at times in our life where it's just private. Well, they prayed scrutinizingly. Amen. I got to make them all rhyme. You know that. Matthew chapter 26 to scrutinize means to examine or to observe or to study. And so Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41, Jesus tells us to watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So that prayer is scrutinizing who they are, where they are, what's going on in their life. Pray, you need to watch. That's the scrutiny right there. That's the alertness. That is the examination. That's the observation. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Notice they prayed in Luke chapter 6 and verse 28 intercedingly. And Luke chapter 6 and verse 28. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. Interceding for others in prayer. And as we grow together and do ministry together in the church, it is necessary for us to intercede for each other. And may I say this? You don't have to know all the details of what's going on in somebody's life to pray for them. Sometimes people act like, well, you know, I, I, need, I, I want to pray for you, but now just exactly what is going on? Our prayer is not an opportunity to gossip about each other to God. Our prayer is our opportunity to intercede on the behalf of others so that they'll continue on for Christ. And so uh, they, they literally were in it for the long haul. They were committing themselves, uh, to, uh, remove themselves from the old life. They were learning how to pray. And then just simply the fourth point is simply this. They stuck together. They stuck together. They didn't run off on each other. Uh, it's, it's very alarming in a world that we live in, uh, the lack of resolve to stick together. Uh, politically, boy, I'll tell you what, if somebody's going down politically, they all run like rats jumping off the sinking ship. The sad thing is when churches have struggles and have difficulties, all of a sudden people run for shelter. They run for cover. No, no, we stick together. We, we don't run away from each other. We stick together. Uh, notice they stuck together when they were fearing. And you can write down, we're not going to look up all these verses, but in John chapter 20 and verse 19, they were in the upper room because they were fearing for their lives. 
they stuck together. Oftentimes we get, get this whole COVID thing and everything else that's going on in the world we're living in. Fear has gripped so many people's hearts and the first thing they do is flee and run away from each other. At the time when there's fear, we need to draw close to one another and be a help to each other. Uh, they were waiting in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, waiting for the promise that God had given them of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And may I say that we ought to be willing to wait for God's move together. And you, you look in the book of Acts at any time that they were gathering together and waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. I mean, God honored that and God moved. And so they stuck it out together. Uh, they were to stuck it together when they were serving in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And uh, the ministry that they would begin in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost is one that was marked with serving one another. And uh, we're, we're not just here uh, to boast about what's going on. We're not here just to ignore one another. We are here to be in a real way connected with each other because we serve each other. Ministry is not about being a head honcho over something. Ministry is about serving one another. Uh, they were together, they stuck together in worshiping in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. Uh, they literally, they were breaking bread, they were praying, they were interceding with, for each other, ministering to one another, they were worshiping together. And one of the problems with the whole live stream thing, and I'm thankful for the technology. I'm thankful that we can reach people over live stream. But let's not forget that God calls us together to worship the Lord. Amen. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so this matter of worship in Acts chapter 4 and verse 24 is praising. It's all right to get excited for the Lord. Amen. It's all right to say amen. It's all right to say the hallelujah. It's all right to be excited and thrilled at what Christ is doing. Let's give him the praise and let's give him the glory. Then Acts chapter 6 and uh, chapter 8 and verse 6, they were submitting one towards another. You know, Acts chapter 8, the church is scattered. And as it scattered, they went everywhere preaching Christ, but they were submitting one towards another. Uh, not only that, but in Acts chapter 15 and verse 25, where you have the first church council, they were believing that salvation was by grace through faith, and it was not by circumcision. And so they had that same belief, and they held to that and then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, they were loving one another as Christ loved the church. As he loves us, we're to love one another. And Paul writes about that love. So they just stuck together. And uh, it's a glorious, listen, it is a glorious thing when the body of Christ, the, the fellowship of the believers, is strong through thick and thin, through blessing times and through struggling times. No matter what, we are there for each other. So we stick it out. This church has been here for 40 years. And for 40 years, God has blessed. And, and it's, this church is here because of the fact that people may have a resolve in their mind that they're going to stick together. And they're going to do the work of the ministry. They're going to believe God. 
and they're going to do it by the grace of God that is bestowed upon us. So they stuck together. Then they just simply had a resolve or a commitment uh, that they were going to adhere to. And first of all, here's some of the things that they were, this is the basics of ministry, what they were committed to. They were committed to the preaching of the word. You take a track and share it with somebody, you're preaching the word. If you stand up in a Sunday school class and teach a lesson, you're preaching the word. When you come in the church, you're going to hear preaching of the word of God. I mean, over the years, I've had people tell me, different people come here, they've told me, Pastor, I'll tell you the way you preach. I mean, if we were to get a rock and roll band in here, we'd pack this place out. And I've told them over the years, no, 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 that's not what we're committed to. We're committed to preaching the word of God. It is the preaching of the word of God that confounds the wise. It's the preaching of the word of God that converts the soul. It's the preaching of the word of God that grows the believer in grace. There is nothing greater and better than the preaching, the proclamation, the revealing of what the word of God has to say. So they were committed to preaching the word. They were committed to soul winning the lost. In Acts 5 and 42, it says, Daily in the temple and house to house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And so everywhere we go, on the job, socializing uh, in your home, uh, going to the store, whatever it may be, everywhere we go, have this thought on your mind. This is a precious soul that Jesus Christ died for. And the only way they're going to hear the gospel is if some believer shares with them the gospel. Now, they may not get saved, but you can at least give them a gospel track. You can at least tell them you're going to pray for them. You can at least sow the seed in their heart and allow somebody else to come along and water that seed so God can give the increase. But you got, if you're not committed to soul winning, then you're not going to be uh, aware of those around you. Uh, they were committed in organizing the church. In Acts chapter 6, when the church was growing, they needed the, the widows to be cared for in the church, what did they do? They appointed deacons. You know, in a few minutes, we're going into our annual church meeting. Why? Because we're, we are organized in how we function as a body of believers and as a church ministry. Uh, there are decisions that have to be made, people that need to be put in positions of leadership, people that are being sent out as, on the mission field, all these different things. And yes, it takes time and it takes involvement, but the early church flourished because of the fact they were willing to organize to make sure the needs of the people were being met. And then this matter, they were committed to sending missionaries. Acts 13, verse 1 and 2. We know Paul and Silas are set out on the missionary journeys, the first missionary journey. And uh, the church, I remember an old preacher saying years ago, if your church is struggling and, and really floundering financially or whatever, put it on a missionary diet. And uh, why? Because when we miss, supporting missions is a support that is completely by faith. And uh, we don't give to missions based on what our abilities are. We give to missions based on what our inabilities are, trusting God to make up the difference. And so we support missions. We send missionaries out. Then here's the last point. You're saying, hallelujah, you finally got to the last point. Uh, they were committed to uh, confirming the kingdom of God. This world is not my home. This is not your home. 
the nations of the world, kingdoms of the world rise and they fall. But it is the kingdom of God that's an everlasting kingdom. And we are a part of the kingdom of God. And so we're committed to the kingdom of God. Uh, and uh, so I, I expect the influence of the Christian to be upon the world to affect the world in which we live. However, saying that, I do understand prophetically the things that we're seeing take place are mentioned in the Bible. And so what do we do? Do we give up? Do we turn over? Do we just turn our backs? No, we're still committed to confirming the kingdom of God. Uh, God is still going to, as Peter says, the world is going to be burned up with a fervent heat. It's going to be eliminated. It's going to be melted. It's going to be dissolved. It's going to be removed. But wait a minute, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. And so the kingdom of God is confirmed in the believer. So growing together, how do we do these things that these disciples did? Very simple, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It is not about us uh, being able to uh, function as a business, but we function as a spiritual entity. And we function based on the fact that everything that we are depends on our understanding of who Christ is. And then uh, we know that when we do that, that Christ will get the glory. But growing. We need to keep growing, folks. We need to keep growing. And I'm not talking about numbers in the church. I'm talking about spirituality in our personal life. We need to keep growing. Because of this, if you grow spiritually, I grow spiritually. God will take care of the numbers. And I've watched God do that over the years. And I know this, that Christ needs to be exalted in all that we say and all that we do. Well, let's bow for prayer. My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much. I'm thankful for this past year, Lord. That, uh, I guess I can say in my heart, I'm glad it's gone. <laughs> Lord, I'm just glad to be able to be in a new year and know that there's new things that you want to do and accomplish in our life. Uh, God, I I'm really am praying with a, an expectant heart that we'll be able to see some magnificent things take place, that there will be multitudes of souls that will be saved, and believers will grow in their faith and will be strengthened uh, by the power and the might of Almighty God. And so, Lord, help us to be a witness. Help us to be a testimony. Help us not to uh, faint in our striving to live out a testimony for the Lord. Uh, help us, Lord, to be aware of each other, praying for each other, reaching out to each other, helping and supporting each other. And Lord, may the ministry of Jesus Christ, the church of Christ, uh, Lord, just flourish and grow uh, as we resolve these things in our hearts, that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's